In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. From the Gospel. There was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down, ere my child die. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. Our gospel lesson opens on Jesus having traveled northward from Jerusalem through Samaria into Galilee, winding his way through his hometown of Nazareth, and finally back to the small village at Cana. The last time Jesus was there, he had turned water into wine, transforming a failing wedding reception into a miraculous feast. Since that time, Jesus' reputation had spread abroad throughout that region, owing to his very public display of driving out the moneylenders at the temple, perhaps, or his notorious, if not somewhat scandalous, care for the Samaritan woman near Jacob's well just a few days earlier. His reputation is provocative. It suggests that God is on the move and that Israel's long-awaited deliverance might actually be at hand after so long in this young prophet from the backwater town of Nazareth. There's an irony here, and Jesus is quick to note it. While his reputation abroad has grown and drawn many into repentance, in his own homeland, in his own hometown, he receives, at best, a mixed welcome. Jesus is viewed by his own people as a very familiar face, and now also somewhat as a source of lurid curiosity, owing to these juicy rumors that have preceded his arrival back home. Meanwhile, the royal official had also heard of Jesus' entry into Galilee. And he had traveled an arduous 25-mile road, climbing over 1,300 feet in elevation as he wound his way slowly southwest from Capernaum to Cana. Such a difficult journey was spurred, no doubt, by desperation for his dying child. And although it's likely that this official was a Gentile, his need was great enough to risk a chance to meet this Jewish miracle worker. When he finally finds Jesus in Cana, his request comes spilling out of him in language befitting a ranking official. St. John's description of this scene captures what our translation tends to miss, that the official is blunt, he's rushed, he is staggering in his request for Jesus to drop everything that he's doing and then travel that same difficult road from Cana to Capernaum to heal his child. Considering how far he'd traveled and how anxious he was, his tone is understandable. You're the miracle man, yes? I need a miracle. There's no time to waste. Please, come now, right now. 
on the face of it, there's nothing apparently wrong here. This is a father who's racked with worry over his child. He takes this worry to Jesus for help. He even asks in a courteous manner, befitting formal requests of the court with which he is so familiar. But something is awry, and Jesus picks up on it immediately. Jesus' response is perplexing because he doesn't seem to answer the official's request right away. Instead, he speaks almost through the official to make a general commentary about the people in that place who have gathered around. In effect, he says, you people only believe what you can see. And in the context of the gospel up to this point, we might also hear him saying, you people only believe what you can see and only when it serves you to do so. In saying this, Jesus makes this man's need speak to the need of all those present. The crisis of this stranger and his son will now serve to correct these false perceptions of Jesus' fellow Galileans as well. When Jesus issues his critique, it pauses the official long enough to reconsider the request. But then he asks Jesus again. But in his manner has shifted. My Lord, he says, please come. Please come before it's too late. It's a subtle difference between the two requests the royal official makes of Jesus, but it changes everything. In the first, we see a man who, beside himself with anxiety, comes to whisk away Jesus in order to meet his need, in order to meet the need that he has at that moment. In the second request, we see a man who, although still anxious, takes on a different attitude, the attitude of a servant, and simply asks Jesus as a Lord for his help. The first request is a summons, a royal summons. The second request is a humble prayer. The first request puts Jesus on the official's timeline. The second request puts the official on Jesus's time. To this prayer, the Lord answers as a Lord with a command to go, all shall be well. The official faithfully obeys Jesus and his son is healed. We need a lesson like this so very far as we are into Trinity. The long season breeds, if we're not careful, a sort of casual and transactional familiarity with the things of God that would have been unthinkable to us during the rigors of Lent or the glories of Easter. It's very easy on this 21st Sunday to think we've figured Jesus out, that we've learned how to pray to get what we want, and that now we've got this religion thing locked in. But today's lesson stops us in our tracks to ask, am I like the official? Has prayer become something that I've made to fit into my life? Or is my life something constantly conforming 
to the prayer of a humble and and patient servant, a prayer of, Lord, help me. Again, the difference is subtle. But we've been so steeped in praying, in the praying life of the church at this point in the calendar, that we are in danger of that subtlety. We are in danger of the familiarity breeding a kind of contempt, a kind of self-interested comfort that would make even the means of grace, even the life of prayer, even the Eucharist itself, into a means of summoning down the divine to do our bidding. In other words, when we pray to Jesus our Lord, do we stress the word Lord or do we stress the word our? Trinity is swiftly approaching its end. And then comes the advent of Christ. Before we see it as the renewal of the church year and the beginning of our anticipation of Christmas, we have to see Advent as the end to which all things have been moving since day one. The first Advent is a guarantee of the second Advent, when Christ shall come as Lord to judge the living and the dead and to establish his everlasting kingdom. What we need in these last days is to pray that we endure in the innocence, humility, and patience that so characterized our prayers earlier in the year, that our prayer does not become stale, does not become self-serving. For we will all surely meet Christ. He comes soon for his weekly visit and inspection today in the Eucharist, and he will come at the judgment on the last day. And when he comes, may our summons have died so as to become the humble prayer of, Lord, have mercy, Lord, please help. For then we will experience a Lord who answers in the manner of Jesus, who answers, go, all shall be well. And then we will experience pardon, peace, forgiveness, a quiet mind, and we shall all be healed. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.